You're listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim. To find out more, go to calvaryanaheim.org. And now, here's Pastor James. Hey there, this is Pastor James. Thank you so much for joining me today. Currently, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 16, but I want to rewind a little bit from last week and revisit the story of the prodigal son. It's so important for us to realize that when God allows discipline in our lives, that it's done with a heart of restoration and a desire to lead us to repentance. So, hey, if you got your Bible handy, We're picking up in Luke chapter 15 and verse 11. God bless you as we jump into the message now. Now, I want to say this, that the heart of God in any time he sends or allows discipline in our lives or bad things to happen, it's a heart of restoration. It's a heart to see repentance. It's a heart to see growth, to perfect our faith and refine us. It's always for good. In Saul's case, he's allowing this for Saul's good. His desire is, hey, this is what it was like when the Holy Spirit was upon you, Saul, when you had my presence with you every step of the way. Now, I'm going to lift that. I'm going to allow the evil that wants to overwhelm you to come to you, and and the goal here is repentance, it's restoration. Saul, wasn't it so much better when the Holy Spirit was upon you than this evil, distressing spirit? We see the heart of God in the story of the prodigal son. Turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15. We're not going to get into a deep teaching on this parable because, believe me, it is really deep. It is really deep with all kinds of, you know, there's the surface kind of touchy-feely part of this story that we all love, and that's what we're going to focus on today. But then there's, there's very deep doctrinal parallels between the Gentiles and and the Jews and things like that. So hopefully that whets your appetite to go look into that more deeply. But today, we want to see God's heart towards the wayward person, the prodigal, like Saul is being right now. So Luke 15, verse 11, in Luke 15, we have the parable of the lost sheep. The The good shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one and when he finds it, he rejoices. The lost coin, the woman who, le- who loses her valuable coin and spends the evening with a little lamp searching every nook and cranny of her home until she finds the coin, and she rejoices when she finds it. And now the lost son. Luke 15, 11, then Jesus said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Now, this would be a very, very hurtful thing for this son to do, to come, you know, before his dad has passed and say, hey, give me my inheritance so that I can go spend it 
how I will so that I could walk away from you, leave you, hurt the relationship. And so the father went ahead and divided the livelihood. In verse 13, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together. He gathered together his, the livelihood, journeyed to a far country. I want to get away from my dad. And there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Later we read prostitution named among that. And so we picture partying, gambling, prostitution, prodigal living. We think about Saul who had this inheritance from the Lord, this gift of the Holy Spirit upon his life, and he squandered it. And so the Spirit was lifted from him with the hopes that he would repent. Now, verse 14, but when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the paws that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. So he was out there, he's hungry. There's a choice here. There's a choice that he has. He can be angry at God and the universe and everybody around him, or he can repent and come back to God, come back to the Father and be blessed. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, I love that, his insanity was lifted. <laughs> what am I doing? This is nuts. I'm part of a rich family. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now there is a humble, repentant heart. I've sinned against God and against you. I'm not even worthy to be called your son anymore. You know that each and every one of us can say that to God? You know, God, I'm not even worthy to be called your child, to be one of your creatures, your, your creation. I've sinned against you, and I've, I've sinned horribly against you because the greater the, the perfection, the greater the offense if you go down to a used car lot and you scratch an old pinto, nobody really cares, maybe. <laughs> but you go down to the local Lamborghini dealer and you... <laughs> you see, which offense is worse? The Lamborghini people are going to be more upset, I think. And so that's how it is with God. He's perfect so much better than a Lamborghini. And so our offense against Him is really, really heinous. And we're no longer worthy to be called children. But we go, 
He's a, he is a wealthy God, and I'm in a desperate place. Desperate. And so we fall to our knees, and we cry out for mercy. And that's where this prodigal son is with his dad. And so in verse 20, it says, And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. So there he was. (laughs) He had his spiel all memorized for dad. And he's going just wondering what's going to happen and then all of a sudden, his dad just comes running at him. And he might have thought, oh, no, he's going to kill me. <laughs> and then his dad just falls on him, kisses him. Oh, my son, my son, you're back. Before he even had a chance to give him the spiel. In fact, while this is happening, he tries to eke out his spiel. In verse 21, And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He doesn't even get to the rest of his spiel when verse 22, the the father says, the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and, and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. And the Bible says that when one sinner comes to repentance, all the angels in heaven rejoice. There's a party in heaven, friend, when one sinner comes to repentance. That's how much God loves the world loves the people of the world, the prodigals included, the rebellious and the angry. He loves them, and He is doing all that He can without violating a person's will to draw people back to Himself, that they would just take some steps in His direction, and before they can even finish the words of repentance, God is there to take back, to forgive, to love, and to say, here's the finest robe, a robe of righteousness. Here's sandals for your feet. Now go share the gospel. (laughs) Let's kill the fatted calf and let's party in heaven. That's God's heart for every soul on the earth. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For God so loved the world, not just the people who are good relative to others, but the whole world. He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, that means whosoever, anybody, should believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That word in, believe in Him, literally in the Greek, believe into Him. You see, even the devils believe and tremble. So it's not just an intellectual acceptance 
It is an intellectual acceptance and then an acting in faith of saying, yes, I'm yours, God. You're mine. I want to be in relationship with you. I commit myself to you. It's a marriage, friends. It's a union. It's a union. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. This is the heart of God. It's the heart of God for us. It's the heart of God for Saul. Verse 16, 1 Samuel 16. So the servants, seeing that Saul is being distressed by this spirit, they suggest in verse 16, let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you and you shall be well. Music is powerful, isn't it? Even classical music can affect your emotions, but especially worship. And in fact, with worship, you don't even need music. You can just begin to pray worship and it will lift your spirit as the presence of God invades your life. Verse 17, so Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, look, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person. And the Lord is with him. So this is speaking of David, the son of Jesse, who would, who would come and play music before Saul and the distressing spirit would be gone and he would feel better as David worshiped in the presence of Saul. Now it's just not anybody coming in to play technically well. This is a man whose heart belongs to God and the Holy Spirit is upon him. And so it's the presence of God that he's bringing back into Saul's life. And this spirit then flees from the presence of the worship. We see a few things here that David is skillful in playing. That tells us that in worship, quality matters. Doesn't need to be perfect, but we need to strive for good quality worship. If you're called to be a worship leader, practice, practice. Get as good at, at what you do as you can and then continue to improve, right? Next, a mighty man of valor, a man of war. There's a spiritual fight in worship. The devil hates it. He's going to come against it. If you're not ready for the spiritual battle, you'll get pummeled by the devil. And so worship leaders, just like pastors and ministers uh, of the gospel, have to be prepared to fight the spiritual fight. And it's worth it. So we step into it. Just like our police officers, our sheriffs, our Navy SEALs and military, right? We step into it and answer the call. The devil comes against worship leaders because the natural tendency, uh, like rock stars, is to take glory for self and to be glory thieves. And God would not want that. He will share his glory with no one. So worship is different than secular music. It's a totally different thing. 
It's giving glory to God and praise and worship to Him. Prudent in speech. Worship leaders have to be diplomatic. Everyone's an expert at worship. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody has a preference. I like this style of music. I like this style of music. Why aren't we playing more country? Why aren't we doing more rap? (laughs) And by the way, I had an amazing worship time one time driving out to the desert with ska music. You know, just... And they did all these old worship songs to ska. And I was just like, yeah, praise Jesus! You know? So there is so much having to do with culture and preference. So with everybody coming to you, you've got to be prudent in speech. You've got to know when to speak and when to be quiet, what to say from the stage, what to say to the team and to individual congregation members that come. A handsome person. You don't have to be the best-looking person in the world, although all of our worship leaders are. But, but the goal here is to be invisible, Right? We just, we just want to dress nice and not distract. You know, we don't want to be so sloppy that it distracts you, you know? Whoa, what are you wearing? And, and we don't want to dress so flashy that it distracts you. We just want to dress nice and be presentable, you know? Comb my hair in the morning. And then, and then come and point you to Jesus. Don't look at me. Look at God. Amen? The Lord is with him. This is the most important thing in worship or in any ministry is that the Lord be with us because without him we can do nothing, nothing. Verse 19, as we finish up here, it says, Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine and a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. So he sends them with a gift. It's nice when you're sending your son to a king. 21, so David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. This would be the one who would carry the armor and care for the armor, even going into battle. Verse 22, then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, please let David stand before me for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the spirit from God was upon Saul, speaking of that evil spirit, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. I encourage you, you're you're feeling like you're in a bad temperament, you ate some pizza and you're feeling angry, Or perhaps it's just an evil spirit from the Lord that is oppressing you because you're about to step into an important work. Boy, there's been times where I didn't even know what was going to happen that day, that there was a divine appointment and somehow Satan saw it coming because he's smart. He doesn't know the future, but just like Amazon's got your number, (laughs) they know what, you know, they know the patterns and the tendencies and they'll advertise and things like that. So Satan sees, hey, I see this coming. And man, the attack comes as he tries to discourage you and influence you negatively. And God just says, just keep hanging in there and watch what happens. And later that day, boom, you're on the beach. You see someone. You say, hey, can I share Jesus with you? <laughs> or whatever. It's, sometimes it's not even that overt on your part. It just falls upon you. You find yourself sharing with someone 
or encouraging them or saying a prayer for them or whatever, and you're like, this is why I felt the attack. And you walk away rejoicing in a victory. But I would encourage you as you get that attack, man, go into worship. Begin to just worship God and praise Him. Turn on the worship music. Get in the Word. The Word of God is powerful. It's a weapon against the enemy. In other words, draw near to God and get outside of self. Every time I do it, it makes a difference. Huge difference. When I don't, it doesn't. (laughs) And so let's do it. Amen? You've been listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Chapel Anaheim in Anaheim, California. We encourage you to stick around until the end of the program as Pastor James will be back with a few closing thoughts. Now, if you're in the area, we would love for you to visit. Check out calvaryanaheim.org for location, service times, and more. We'd love to hear from you to let us know how God has touched your life through this program or to submit a prayer request, simply go to calvaryanaheim.org and scroll down to the Get In Touch form at the bottom of the homepage. Now, here is Pastor James with some closing thoughts. Hey, Pastor James here. Boy, I'm reminded that the devil is real, that evil spirits are real, that they hate my guts, they hate your guts, they hate anything that God has created. They hate God, they're in rebellion against him. We're told in the scriptures that the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And the devil wants to rip you off. He wants to rip you off from the life that you can have in Christ Jesus. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And this is what Satan would like to do for to all of us as well. He wants to sift us like wheat, destroy us, rattle us around and ruin our lives. And this is why we're told in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But you know, when we have Christ living inside of us, we need not fear. When we have the presence of God with us wherever we go, we need not fear because God is with us and God is greater than the devil. And this is why Moses in Deuteronomy 31, 6 was able to tell the children of Israel not to be afraid. He says, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them, speaking of the enemies that they would face as they go into the promised land. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. And we have that same promise from our Lord. Jesus said, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And when we know that God is with us, that Jesus is present with us, we don't need to fear a thing because Jesus is greater. In fact, we're told in 1 John 4, 4, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And that should give us great comfort. Now, if you don't have the Lord Jesus living inside of you, then you're in a scary situation because you are vulnerable and susceptible to the attacks of the enemy. 
And this is why it's so important to receive Christ as your Savior. Don't delay. Don't wait another second. If you've not done this, today's the day of salvation. Receive him as your Lord and as your Savior. 1 John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. Did you know that when you receive Christ as your Savior, that you become a member of the family of God? And I'm telling you right now that God loves his children so much that he will not allow the evil one to touch them. And you have the protection of God. And so if you would like to just receive Christ today, if you've not done so, then it's a simple step of faith, acknowledging God as your Lord and as your Savior. Go ahead and say this simple prayer with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Jesus, please forgive me of all of the wrong that I have done. I want to be close to you. I want you to be my friend. Come into my life, into my heart. I receive you as my Savior. I receive you as my Lord. I want to spend the rest of my days in obedience to you, walking with you, in closeness with you. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, and have a wonderful rest of your week. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to listen again next time for another edition of Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Anaheim.